Yeah, so I, um, my kind of day job is as a CG supervisor at an animation studio here in the UK, uh, based in Leicester. Um, and I've kind of been here for about 12 years now at this company. This, and it's called Energy Creative. Um, and I kind of joined about a year after kind of graduating from university. I studied um, computer games and visual effects, kind of graduated, spent about a year working on my portfolio and then um, got hired as a CG, as a junior CG supervisor and then kind of slowly worked my way up to CG supervisor. Um, and uh, Energy Creative, we kind of focus on uh, creating educational science educational films so we're we're actually based at a science museum called the national space center um um which is kind of a a science museum it's go downstairs and it's full of kids running around from school groups um learning about space science and then we make shows for the planetarium that's based here um but then we also make shows for planetariums around the world um beyond that we work on theme park rides and kind of any kind of large non-standard kind of format films, projection mapping, Pepper's Ghosts, all these kind of things you see at kind of theme parks and uh, immersive rides. And then um, more recently, I've started to take on some more kind of freelance work as a bit more as a technical artist, focusing on Houdini and um, kind of more real-time video games, Unreal Engine, um, and then that's how I kind of got started getting involved with um, side effects and eventually uh, Project Pegasus, which is their kind of latest kind of in-house technical educational demo um, to kind of showcase how Houdini Engine can be used with um, uh, Unreal Engine to kind of create a large uh, open world type environment. I think Houdini has done this tremendous jump from being perceived as a, a software for VFX and film and uh, become a sort of like a staple in the video game production uh, pipeline. Um, can you talk a little bit about the things that you think help facilitate that, right? Why, did, why do game developers uh, embrace the software and what does it provide that maybe other pieces of software do not? Right? Why the why is it becoming so mm-hmm. popular, especially in these cases where you know you need to build something large very quickly? Yeah. So um, I think because it is because you can keep everything so non-destructive and procedural. Um, but how I got started with with Houdini or, you know, just creating personal projects inside our Unreal Engine was just the, the nature of it being very kind of non-structive and procedural meant that I, you know, working in my spare time on personal projects, I could iterate very quickly, work non-destructively, which meant if I needed to make a change or, you know, do something differently, I could very easily make those change and kind of have those changes filter through right into kind of the Unreal projects. And I didn't have to kind of waste time redoing work that I'd already done. Um, and it just kind of kept growing from there. Kind of, that's why I kind of latched onto it. And every time I kind of came back to trying to do something in 3ds Max or whatever 3D software you use, 
I'd end up having to redo work if I wanted to make a change. And with Houdini, I didn't have to do that. Or more often than not, I could um, reuse what I'd already done or even duplicate the same setup, change a few parameters and get a different result. Um, so kind of as a, on an artist level, that's why I kind of kept coming back to it. Um, kind of even just starting out, if I was sculpting an object in ZBrush and I wanted to generate a low-poly UV model, I could set up a network that would automate that process for me. You know, with a few clicks, I can get that from ZBrush optimized, kind of baked, and then view it inside the Unreal Engine in, you know, in a few minutes. So I kind of really latched onto that and then just started kind of learning and growing things from there. Could you talk a little bit about the um, kind of like what are the big things or themes in uh, Project Pegasus that you've been working on? What are like what what's its center about, uh, around? What are the things that are, you know, educational? What people can kind of why would people be enticed to kind of like download it and try playing around with it? What are like the the pieces and building blocks of this project? So when we st uh, started Project Pegasus, or when I kind of first was asked to um, kind of start the board the ball rolling and coming up mm -hmm. with what project Pegasus was we kind of we knew we wanted to do an open world style environment um because it had project titan um the previous year which was kind of like mm -hmm. cyberpunk style uh city urban environment um so you want something a bit different something different from that that kind of stood out but was also kind of larger in scope um so really from the get-go we knew we wanted to do an open world environment um and probably go a bit more of the kind of medieval fantasy just to have a bit more of, uh, stood out a bit more from Project Titan that was this kind of cyberpunk environment. Um, and so when we began, or when I began it, I really kind of wanted to focus on creating an environment, coming up with the concept of what the environment would be. Um, and then that would kind of then give us a list of these problems that we kind of needed to solve kind of to, to reach that goal of creating this kind of um, large environment. Um, and I kind of started to draw, draw up a list of the kind of the areas that we would focus on. So it kind of boiled down to um, the landscape itself, um, kind of scattering things like foliage and stuff. So we wanted to tackle foliage in some way um, and then have um, some kind of village environments, so architecture, kind of generating procedural buildings. Yeah, when you look at it, it's fascinating, right? Because it's a, it's a huge uh, area, right? I, mm -hmm. don't, I think we have some numbers in the article. We'll leave it in the, in the description. But basically, it's like this huge area it is uh, completely procedurally uh, generated. There is like forests and there is like very complex mm -hmm. uh, landscape with there's like where there are valleys and then there's mountains and then there's some mm -hmm. rocks and everything. And then you have vegetation and then you have these amazing little kind of like villages uh, with um, some kind of edifices there, like with houses and with a church and so on. It's, um, it's fascinating to see all of that being done with basically a bunch of the procedural formulas and the elements. And mm, I think the biggest question that people have when they look at it, because uh, they're, they're thinking, okay, 
um, I, I'm speaking from personal experience as well. So, A, I will never be able to do it because it's way too complex. And uh, uh, I, I don't know how to code or, or something, or there's some other mm -hmm. roadblock. And then uh, it also will going to be, it, it's going to require me a lot of time. So instead, I'm just going to go either try to build it all myself or with a team, or I'm going to go and buy some of the, you know, go to Kitbash or maybe some other spot uh, and just buy a bunch of uh, stuff over there and just place it by hand. And I'm wondering if you could, because it's a different mindset, you know, it's a mm -hmm. different way approach uh, problem solving. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what's what's good about Houdini in general and this uh, kind of procedural approach? You talked about that it's not destructive. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people don't really understand understand what it means. Like in terms of, I think when people are actually builders, when they do this uh, on scale and this is like their day job, I think they understand mm -hmm. it. I, I talk with a lot of guys from you know, all over the all, all over the world. But I think one of the biggest examples I remember vividly is like the Ubisoft, where they were working on the Ghost Recon games or Far Cry games. Mm -hmm. They are doing so much work there. It's just it is just impossible to try to cram all of that in, mm -hmm. in even in in the in the team of their size. They have like huge teams, huge company offices all over the world, and still. They have these three, uh, you know, Houdini guys who are like incredibly smart, and like they they spend some wood time with with the software, and mm -hmm. then they create this amazing amazing map already populated. Yeah. And then the game designers, everybody comes and start kind of playing around with it. So, tell talk us a little bit about like this almost like a philosophy behind uh, this approach, where you use the software to create this kind of like you know, scale very quickly and then mm -hmm. start adding more stuff to it or, you know, art directing it and so on. I think this is something that's missing in the, in some people's, you know, minds, perception. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that owl has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you have, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. Yeah. So I mean, we definitely took a lot of inspiration from like the. Ubisoft games like Far Cry or Ghost Recon and I kind of played a bunch of them when I was starting out just to kind of get some ideas of what kind of things we would kind of um, cover. Um, the project itself kind of grew quite organically. Um, we didn't have like have a set path that we were going to follow. Um, so in terms of kind of trying to kind of give an overview of the way the kind of the environment's built, um, so kind of using Houdini was kind of able to basically block out this island, this four kilometer island um, 
kind of I mean Houdini's a big kind of toy box of different tools that you can kind of just put together in any different order and kind of build whatever you want. Um, so we can kind of create basic kind of block out shapes to generate the kind of shape of the island and then use kind of procedural erosion tools to kind of stimulate um, rainfall and precipitation which erode the landscape and create rivers and valleys. Um, and then as you're going, you're producing kind of extra information and data from, you know, where it's calculating kind of waterfall in these rivers. You can use that to drive placement of um, trees or rocks or cliffs. Um, so we can kind of use the kind of erosion and the debris kind of fields that it develops, that it generates to place rocks and um, in these areas or um, kind of spawn um, particular types of trees kind of higher on slopes and then different kind of trees lower down in the valleys and as you're going you're kind of building these um, kind of rules almost that govern the placements of different objects and because it's all non-destructive you can kind of go back to the start make a change change the shape of the island and kind of have these kind of filter through um, and kind of update the, the placement of objects. Um, it was uh, George Hume was the artist who focused on the landscape. I kind of blocked out the initial kind of block and shape that I wanted, and then he kind of took on the took on the landscape and, and built it up into the kind of very detailed landscape that you see in Project Pegasus, and scattering all the objects and um, trees and paths and roads. So you kind of start to build these kind of layers and layers and layers of different. Yeah. I am fascinated by it. Like I, I mm, it's because uh, I've seen it being developed for like for years, and it's always nice to see that with every release there's some kind of a new feature. And I remember when they they introduced this erosion element, and when mm. you you build the rivers and everything, and everything's done like by magic. You basically click a button, then it just like starts mm. working on a screen. That looks fascinating, and. Uh, I love the the floor tool. That's also exciting uh, to see how this vegetation is all being done within one software. Because that, that's that's kind of mm -hmm. insane. Because if you if you go to you know any school any school that does CG uh, kind of like whatever, or if you even go to a, a large company like something like in mm -hmm. here in California, you would see people who are saying like I'm a vegetation artist and their whole thing is that they're they're doing vegetation and uh, mm. they are almost applying this kind of like a Disney uh, approach where you know round is good uh, triangle is bad and you know sharpie is bad and uh, they, they kind of build the vegetation like very um, you know by hand uh, super attentively uh, kind of like trying to make sure that it's all kind of like done neatly and so on but now you have these tools where you can just try to learn it figure it out and then massively produce at scale like building these mm. incredible worlds and when i think about it like i'm trying to understand what what does it bring to game development in general like if you look at the stuff that you've done it's basically a game mm. you, you basically created a game like if you add some kind of gameplay logic and 
other elements like monetization or whatever, you have like your own island in Fortnite or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I'm wondering how do you see these tools, um, Houdini and maybe some others as well, like a, how do you think they're going to influence uh, game development in general? Like what, what are we going to see? Do you think uh, people will start embracing this technology even more? Um, not just large companies, but maybe smaller companies as well? Because it, <clears throat> it makes so much sense for a smaller mm. uh, studio. You know what I mean? Like, I think Ubisoft, for them, it's uh, not just Ubisoft, but any kind of like of these large. So they're like, okay, we have the resources so we can invest, we buy these licenses, and we get this guy who's going to tinker with it. And maybe it, it, it's going to, mm. you know, bring some fruits later on. But with smaller studios, they're like, you know, a little bit on the fence, like maybe they're reluctant to do the investment, maybe they uh, don't have the time, but um, mm. just like from the high level perspective, it seems like it's a perfect tool for them because mm. you, you you spend some time with it, you learn how to do it, and then you can create content very quickly. And this is like the biggest cost um, factor for, for a lot of those studios. What do you think, um, you know, how do you think it's gonna develop? Do you, do you think we're, we'll see you know, embracement of Houdini in like, uh, you know, maybe smaller or mid-tier companies, um, or maybe maybe in other industries. Like, what's what's your take? I mean, I think we already do see lots of. Um, well, I've certainly seen indie studios using or leveraging things like Houdini because you can. I mean, much like I was just saying about working on personal projects, you can work um, in a procedural way and generate variations. You know. Create a, um, a setup a network like it is a, a recipe and then change a few parameters and you can generate kind of lots of variations whether you're generating I don't know rocks or landscapes or, or, or whatever it is you can kind of very quickly create different variations and we, so kind of yeah for indie studios I think being able to leverage that kind of workflow means that you can have a smaller team produce more content because I think regardless of the size of the studio very often the the expectation from the audience is, is the same right they still want an open world to roll off and explore and do all the kind of fun things they usually expect to do um, so the the tools like Houdini that can um, kind of help generate content in kind of a more kind of streamlined way um, means you can kind of meet those expectations um and i think i mean we as a the, our team we we're kind of only four of us right trying to create this very large environment and hello i was on the project for about eight months um but really we kind of maybe had three or four months just focusing on creating the environment itself and the rest of it was kind of more on um the kind of documentation and turning it into learning content so we had to create a, a large environment in a very sh short space of time um but by using houdini and you know i could essentially create a, a right. tool that can automate a process um like you said the um the flora tools was you know built with a desire to create more realistic tr create trees in a more realistic and natural way that kind of maybe the current um kind of Houdini, Side Effects Labs tools um, 
kind of fall down a little bit on was to kind of kind of build and maybe prototype a, a new way of modeling trees and that was a tool that the guys kind of that um Fiker and George kind of prototyped over the course of um a month or so so kind of there on a small scale as well we're prototyping tools at uh, that an artist could then take and, and reuse to create mm-hmm. you know, the work that they need to. So again, that's kind of like allows a small team to kind of create these very useful tools that artists want and need. Um, and then they can take them and, and kind of run with them and um, create the work that they need to more easily. Ian, uh, to kind of like um, wrap this up um, and talk about because I, what I like about these um, conversations with like technical specialists like yourself, uh, as well as doing these things at ADA level, is that uh, you kind of take this highly theoretical kind of like uh, math-heavy um, stuff and you turn it into something tangible and um, like adding like a little bit of a wow factor, right? When you mm-hmm. first see like uh, an algorithm. Uh, generating a building and kind of giving you like variation after variation after variation mm-hmm. you can't escape kind of thinking that this is some kind of like witchcraft or, or something um and uh, my question is like when you look at this project um what are the bits for you and maybe for your team that worked on it what are the bits that felt like witchcraft where you worked on some of them and you you know, you put you you execute, and then suddenly it's like, well, wow! I didn't expect this. Mm-hmm. What, what were like those kind of like little discoveries that you made along the way? I think, I mean, because uh, when I started the project, with just myself kind of blocking out this very basic environment with cubes and basic shapes. So I was very fortunate to kind of end up with a team that I had that kind of was able to take the bits that I was kind of. Uh, messing around with the trying to come up with ideas and kind of take it and, and run with it and um, kind of put the hard work they did to kind of create the environment that it was. But um, I think it's it's always when you're working something procedurally because you are you know you're not designing every kind of square foot by hand you are generating it. So there was points where trying to towards the end of the project I kind of spawned the environment in Unreal to run around and check out what it looked like and just make sure it was working but i'd end up just kind of following a procedural path not knowing where it's going to end up and kind of eventually just kind of following it to the top of the mountain and kind of looking out over the the landscape or kind of running down and finding kind of a valley that was kind of full of of trees and and a rock slide and nobody had kind of stopped to think about deciding these kind of little unique areas they just kind of spawned out of the the rules that um were, were set in place so i think it's those kind of things that as you know you're not expecting them but they've kind of just appeared in the game as if by as if by magic um and they suddenly feel like kind of like real places um and there's a there's definitely a point like when you when you work on the project and you know it, it's progressing but um there's always kind of an ugly point in, in any kind of creative project where you're not quite there yet it kind of needs a few more iterations and things just haven't quite clicked into place and then when they do and kind of you've got the kind of right level of detail and the right um kind of le- level of polish and all of a sudden it just kind of all kind of comes together um and yeah we kind of had this world that we could just kind of start 
wandering around and exploring and uh, yeah. suddenly kind of felt like a bit of a, a living breathing place yeah it's almost like you are discovering what the what the what the machine has done right it's it's mm. sort of like it's almost kind of like giving you these building blocks and that's what's um that's what's amazing like i think i heard with mm. uh i heard the gorilla team when we were doing the first horizon that they had they had the same thing where they mm. um that it generated so much stuff the for them that they were discovering the game for themselves mm. like that they were not really going in our direct and every little bit in peace and mm. i think this is some kind of a this is really a unique element to what this kind of software and this kind of uh pipeline brings and mm. uh, i think it brings so much more surprise and uh kind of like um a little bit of this creative uncertainty that mm -hmm. is revitalizes this whole process because so often we are especially if you're like in your if you're vfx and film i mean you're working on this shot for what like months sometimes years right mm -hmm. and then it's almost like you're you don't really see this thing and then you see it for like a couple of seconds when the, the film arises and here with, with like clever tools you can create this discovery almost every every mm -hmm. single time and try to iterate this and so on um yeah and thank you so much i think this is like an amazing project and just as like the the previous urban one that houdini did there was like a lot of fun to explore i think this one is even more um kind of big on scale mm -hmm. and so so fun to see and understand like how all those little bits and pieces work uh so thank you so much for that work we'll leave the links in the description people can review have a look we also did an article just in case we can put it there and uh yeah good luck and thank you for this uh conversation well thank you very much thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 level roundtable podcast check out upcoming episodes on the 80 level website at 80.lv join our career site at 80.lv rfp and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.